0: Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age podcast. This is C. Travis Webb, editor of The
1: American Age, and I am speaking to Seth and Stephen. Gentlemen. Hey, uh, this is Seth Rodney. I'm an editor at Hyperlogic and a member of the part time faculty at Parsons School of Design, the new school. And I'm coming at you from the Bronx today. I have a workshop later to teach, actually, at the CAA conference. So that's what's on my agenda today. I'm looking forward to that 36 or 35 eager people uh, wanting to learn how to manage their professional relationships with editors. All right.
2: Oh, fantastic. Okay. I guess I got to go to that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wish I would have known. Um, I'm Stephen G. Fullwood. I am the co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project. You can check us out online at nomadicarchivist, plural, and learn a little bit about what we do. And I'm coming to you today from Harlem. It's sunny outside, but it's a little cold, but it's one of those days where um, it's beautiful regardless. And mm. so um, I will be at BAM tonight for the last... Program of the Marlon Riggs retrospective, and there will be a number of shorts of people who are were inspired by Mar- Marlon. And so I'll be there at seven o'clock tonight. Hope you guys
0: can make it if it's not sold out. Nice, thank you. Nice mm-hmm. one. Um, so I'd love to go, but I am in Southern California. Where I'm, I meant to, I meant to remark that uh, we actually had a legitimately cold couple of days where the the low was thirty four. Wow. Um, now, 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 granted. That was, you know, just for a couple of hours at like 5 o'clock in the morning. But that's still for here. That <laughs> no, is that, no. that is still a cold <laughs> no, temperature. No, so, just, yes. <laughs> no
1: apocalypse. <laughs> just, oh, no. Just, no. What did you just guys because do? because <laughs> only
0: cats... And <laughs> hotel workers have to experience it does not mean that it wasn't cold for a little bit. Yeah, lots uh, yeah, of people too, yeah. ahead. <laughs> so um, this is to remind our listeners that uh, we practice what we like to call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud. Uh, and we're continuing our conversation on white supremacy. Uh, last time, we had a pretty good conversation about uh, really limited uh, d- to Obama's uh, one, uh, two speeches uh, at Morehouse and Howard University uh, in 2013, 2016, respectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and today, uh, we're going we're gonna to transition to another topic we brought up a couple of episodes ago, which is on what impediments there are to for... Uh, black people, African Americans, of means to uh, reach some kind of level of success or security in the United States. Now, we're not talking about the poor, uh, because their issues are compounded, right? So I mean, not only do they have, uh, do they have a racial, Um, A barrier to overcome. They also have, um, you know, economic barriers to overcome. So Mm -hmm. um, I would actually like to, I I know, I know both of you have some great uh, bits of information, but I had a a moment last week where I thought of what I, what I believe to be a concrete example of how white supremacy still um, survives. um, And, -hmm, mm -hmm. and also what makes it so difficult uh, to, to deal with. Um, and how long it takes to overcome it. And that is the Grammys, the 2019 Grammys. Mm. So Childish Gambino won for album of the, or Song of the Year, mm-hmm. uh, Album of the Year, for the first time in history in 2019, mm-hmm. a black hip-hop Woman. artist mm-hmm. won. 2019, 21st mm-hmm. century, right? 21st century, a fifth of the way through the 21st century, first time. That a black artist has won. That mm-hmm. is an example of white supremacy, mm-hmm. and, and 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 a stru- and, and just to, to be, and and an example of its structure. Right? Mm-hmm. You couldn't right. you couldn't have found a more Liberalized racial industry in the United States. I'm not saying that it, I'm not saying it is liberal. I'm saying you couldn't find a more liberalized one mm-hmm. than the entertainment industry in mm. the late twentieth, early twenty first century. I mean, mm. these are these are the woke people, right? These are the people that are working with black producers, black artists. Um, they're championing these uh, they're championing these people they're on their endorsements they're engaged in their success they're making lots of money off of them
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: and a number of black artists and black producers um, have a tremendous amount of power in the entertainment industry and even still with mm-hmm. all of that mm-hmm. two thousand nineteen is the first time a black hip-hop artist wins mm. that is structural, institutional white supremacy.
1: Amen. Whew. There's a,
2: there's a lot to unpack there. I agree with you. That's a, that's a really interesting moment, given the 40-plus years that hip-hop has existed as a genre. Mm, mm. Um, but about, the, thing I, the one thing I will say, though, I'm always curious, because the Grammys are supposed to be voted on by your peers, Right. <laughs>
0: I, that sounds right to me. Yeah. I mean, people in yeah. the record industry. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Right. So, because the other day I was just thinking about the well, – as it relates to the Grammys, who's getting – like, we were just going down the list and Alicia Keys has something like 15 Grammys. Mm-hmm. She's just an okay artist to me, mm-hmm. right? So, who's voting and saying her albums are better than, say, this person who was also nominating the same category? These, this, I agree with you. I think it's structural. I definitely feel like we're seeing – Artists who have some skill sets, other artists who may be a little bit more skilled or a little bit more themselves or a little more whatever. And Mm. they don't, you know, people don't get Grammys other lives. It's not even a measure of, in some ways, of your talent. It's not at all. It's positioning, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, and so it's, yeah, it's really profoundly disturbing, actually. (laughs) Yeah. But there it is.
1: But to put some. Uh, uh, sort of uh, evidence to the question. Mm-hmm. I think for me, and 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 I remember struggling to answer the question because I thought, well, there's so many, right? I thought if there are structural impediments to to black folks of means, you can talk mm-hmm. about segregation, right? You can talk about employment. You can talk about healthcare. You can probably talk about within education. You can talk about the ways that black children are likely disproportionately disciplined versus their white parents. But to talk in terms strictly uh, that, I, that curtail or constrain someone's life chances, I think the top three for me are segregation. Because segregation does this, it has this knock-on effect, right? Because if you're subjected to racial discrimination In terms of mortgage lending, then you are spending Mm -hmm. more for the thing for the property that you own. So you are losing value there. Mm -hmm. You are, and if you are shunted to neighborhood or or or, uh, uh, consciously encouraged to buy property in neighborhoods that aren't as affluent, then -hmm. you are losing Mm -hmm. money there, right? Because one of the ways, and we know this about social reproduction, one of the ways that wealth is passed on between generations is mm-hmm, that is mm-hmm. is is through the mechanism of property right. so um that has a knock on effect if landlords are resisting to renting to certain ethnic minorities that also has a knock on effect because then you Absolutely. live further out it's harder to get to work you spend more money more time more energy right um and i found uh in the uh, the uh, Article that I sent you all before mm-hmm. we started the podcast that the average white lives in a neighborhood that's eighty percent white. Mm-hmm. So there clearly are correlates. I mean, I don't think that that makes the argument. That that little. Uh, do you hat, know what point. the
0: average? Do you know the demographic makeup of what the average African American neighborhood? It ha- like? it's in or the it same in thing
1: America. I sent you. It's something like the uh, I don't remember. I don't remember. Okay. Is is the short answer? I'll pull it up. But clearly, segregation constrains the life chances of black folks of means. Because you you can have, you can have means. And you can, I mean, here's a great here's a great example. And then, and then I'm gonna shut up and let y'all get into this. Chris Rock has this wonderful bit in a stand-up routine he did uh, a couple years back. He said, uh, you know, I'm Chris Rock. You know, I've done movies, stand-up. I earn a lot, I've earned a lot of money. I live in this, like, sub-community, which is just, uh, in Nutley, New Jersey. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm Chris Rock. You know who my next-door neighbor is? He said, it's a, it's a white guy who's a dentist. A dentist. Yeah. Oh, I remember this, yeah. I'm Chris yeah. Rock. Like yeah. it, th- you know what I'm saying? Like that that shit is batshit crazy. Mm-hmm. That <laughs> you can be Chris Rock, I, I, and it's hard to it's hard to find a person in the Black Entertainment Network and an entertainment network that we're talking about that Travis brought up uh, that is more well known or has or 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Garner's hire bees for his participation in whatever project, right? And his next door neighbor is a dentist. I that feel like shit. I should have
0: gone to dental school is oh what I take God. from that story. Really? Yeah. <laughs> but, but that's madness, right? That's madness. <laughs> of course, yeah.
1: yeah. So please. Steven? Oh, oh so,
2: yeah. So um, I actually f- focus more on Black elites, because people mm-hmm. of means, I for somehow decided that it, that meant effluent <laughs> and elite. Mm-hmm. And so I started thinking about, um, so I read um, Margot Jefferson's book, Negro Land, and it's really her take on, you know, it's a, sort of a, a condensed look at the Black wealth that she grew up in, you know, mm-hmm. her father was a pediatrician. Her mom was well to do, and then just the sort of habits and regulations, and mores that the black elite participated in to maintain itself, mm-hmm. and that the danger of falling off was always present, either in the the rituals that they you know did in terms of cotillions and other things, or marrying the wrong mm-hmm. person, or wearing mm-hmm. your hair wrong, mm-hmm. or these kinds of things. So I was thinking about she when I asked her um, almost over a year ago, why did she? Mm-hmm. Write this book, this memoir in this way. And she goes, because I wanted to be implicated. Hmm. And she teaches at Columbia. She's an amazing woman. And she got me thinking about how she was, she said recently in in an interview that she wanted to sort of show because there was the white world and there was the black world and they didn't fit into either, but they struggled to maintain that space. And that meant, you know, concessions. That meant, capitulations that meant not being black, black, that meant being better. And that even though she has all these wonderful, um, wonderful uh, memories of growing up and all these pleasures that kind of came with it, she came up, um, she said 1966 was, you know, the year of black power, essentially. That's when the Black Panthers were established and a number of things. And that these... um, these moments caused her to think differently about not only how she grew up, but also like just cast. It cast a much larger, um, it made her think more about the social inequities, the economic inequities in a different way because they had been held, held away from it, Do you know? So thinking about that and how the struggles of the Black elite to remain the Black elite is really interesting in how wealth Wealth from folks who might have made their money through entertainment, sports, or, or somehow, that, that wealth may be black on its face. But what happens when you marry someone who's not black? And then their children don't marry someone who's black. What happens? I was thinking about the, how that wealth dispersion happens there. So I think it's I, so what I was doing, I focused largely on the black elite because kind of the, the people of means thing that feels like my family story. And so I kind of knew that. Um, so apologies to you both around that. But it made me think about how um, definitely discrimination, definitely work, definitely segregation, definitely all these things that sort of um, conspired to keep Black wealth from happening en masse, you know, in a culture that's really kind of largely resigned to. Um, that that's just the way it is and you have to be better than everyone else and meritocracy will make sure you do this. And I think it, the meritocracy is the favorite dream of the oppressed because it might be the only dream <laughs> that one can have when it comes to living in the U.S. when it comes to economics.
0: But I, not to go too far down you know, a side road, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, meritocracy is not an illusion, right? It's, it's not
2: an illusion.
0: It's that... It, but. It's that the amount of merit it takes to lift oneself out of one's circumstances when you have enough things stacked against you is the anomaly, right? It's just, it's so rare for someone to be that driven, that intelligent, that gifted to be mm-hmm. able to overcome mm-hmm. their structural impediments um, that uh, it makes the meritocracy, you know that in in name not really in name only but it just it makes it uh, not exactly a just system right because m- people that come from means of very mediocre are average me? achievement yeah. are, are able to just keep it, right? They just get to stay in, you know, their sort of, their, their pool of averageness and No still disrespect
2: is- to Chris Rock's dentist. Uh-huh. <laughs> no disrespect to the guy who lives next door. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think, I, I want to push that aside and just want to say that I think that we have enough examples of people who've gotten to where they are because of what they owned but also jimmy rigging the system like the trumps you know
1: george bush jr yeah.
2: regulations these sorts of things so i don't know yeah. if it's meritocracy sometimes or if it's just being able to buy your senator or buy your congressman or or get laws passed or you know all of that
1: or wait, the thing go ahead i'm sorry
2: No, that was it. No, that was it. I was just thinking
1: out loud. Mm -hmm. Or with your family ties, being able to garner or get, procure the kind of attention, the kind of, to essentially wield a kind of power, right? I mean, I think of George Bush Jr. I mean, this man was a failure, right? I mean, he, in terms of being an oil businessman, just failure. Um, his big thing was owning, I think it was owning, he owned the Houston Astros. Is that what, like how he <laughs> <That's> right, <yeah. laughs> finally got his leg up into the business world? Um, a leg up in the business world. I mean, just, just, a just a, a room temperature bottle of Aquafina. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think, no, you go off brand, please go. Off brand. <laughs> <laughs> right, off brand. right. Um, just and yet he became one of the most powerful men on the planet um, because he had the family connections. Because he stood for a kind of a kind of social order. I mean, I really do think that the, many of these men mm-hmm. are interchangeable, yeah. right? They're they're figureheads. They're ways. I mean, George W. Bush sort of stands in for whiteness in, at the top of uh, uh, at the top of the social order. And really, mm-hmm. we could have just substituted almost any of the other men in his administration for him, and it would have been fine, right? Like, I mean, it would have been fine for his constituency, essentially, right? Like mm-hmm. If Dick Cheney was president, that would have been fine. If Tip O'Neill were president, no, Tip O'Neill wasn't in his administration, but if um, Dennis Haster, <laughs> Hastert, Hastert, like, it would have it would have made that much of a difference to people. Um, mm-hmm. I do, I, I do think that it's important to recognize that. For people who are in what you're calling the elite, Stephen, that there are different kinds of concerns, um, mm-hmm. not falling off being one of the primary ones, right? Um, mm-hmm. Not not losing that um, generational, generationally um, kept wealth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I I I I want to say though that in terms of like structural impediments. Um it seems to me that you're suggesting that one of the structural impediments then is that fear. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. So how oh, so okay,
0: so uh, Ian, so for I uh, two things. So to, to push back a little bit, although a very little bit, because I basically agree with both of you on, mm-hmm. on the points you've raised. Um generational wealth is incredibly rare in the United States. I mean, you're talking I mean mm-hmm. it's 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 rare amongst white people too. I mean, it's just not mm-hmm. it, it yeah. is it is the one percent of the one percent of the one percent. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I actually, I, I met someone from generational wealth when I was on my honeymoon. Um, mm-hmm. His uh, first name was Gray, and I forget his last name Gray. I mean, probably anyone named Gray is obviously. I'm just going to say that is going to be landed gentry. If you're listening to this, Gray, we, we yeah. really like you. Yeah, you're great. so <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, his one of his his uh, great 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 grandfather or something like that was a signatory on the Declaration of Independence. I mean, that that mm. kind of generational wealth. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. That they have friends in the State Department and was ushered out of the Four Seasons during the Arab Spring kind of money yeah. is what they had. That kind of You're money. talking mm. about a very very small. I mean, that's essentially royalty. That's the American version of royalty. Well, I think um,
1: I think you're doing generational wealth though with a big capital G and a big capital W. Uh, I'm just talking uh, about. Go ahead.
0: I am. You know, it, it's a fair sure. it's a fair thing to point. So I was starting with that, and then mm. sort of I, I was going to go down sort of the sliding scale. Okay. After okay. that. Um, The last thing that I saw in this, which has been several years, this may not be true and I can't comment on the methodology of the research uh, other than to say that at least the people that put it out were respectable. Generational wealth in the United States tends to last about three generations. Mm-hmm. Meaning that, I'm not talking about the, that 1% that I was talking about just now, the super tiny sliver. I'm talking about the people sliding down the scale. Mm-hmm. So okay. that, you know, like the children of the Rockefellers, for example, right. Right. their money mm-hmm. has been significantly diluted. Right. And mm-hmm. so it doesn't mean that, of course, all along that that eroding pile of wealth, mm-hmm. that these people don't have advantages. But over time, it goes away, mm-hmm. and so aren't we? Aren't we just talking about the the inertia of history, and that and 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 that in fact, you, you know, this goes back to our earlier podcast about you know where Obama makes the comment that things have improved and have gotten better. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Might not the country look very different in a hundred years, and and we are in fact. Moving haltingly in a very, you know, strong resistance in certain quarters Mm
1: -hmm. to
0: a, a more, um, into, I don't want to say a more egalitarian. That's not what I mean. I mean that race as a factor of getting ahead in getting ahead will become more and more diminished over time and that we are somewhere on that arc. I'm
1: sorry, Seth, please go So maybe. His, mm. and, his, and here's my pushback on that. So if mm-hmm. you're going to make the argument that there's downward mobility as well as upward mobility, sociologists will absolutely back you up on that. And the, and the research clearly does. And I, I've read some of this research myself. Uh, but here's the problem. If that is the case, and, and, and it is, I believe, then you're talking... About how essentially every third or fourth generation, you have to sort of someone has to come along in that family and refresh that 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 pile of wealth. Somebody has to, mm. someone has to make it again. Somebody has to be do 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 uh, uh, bang be a bang zoom athlete or business person or a scientist or whatever. Right, there, there's, there's several ways to to accumulate wealth. But here's the thing one of the one of the primary obstacles for people of color is getting into that employment stream. I read this and mm. I sent this around to you guys that uh, Marion Bertrand and sendhill muley M- M- um, found a fifty percent gap in callback rates for names that associated for names that sound like they were associated with the black community um, yeah as opposed to white names so that means mm-hmm. and, and and essentially they 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 found in the study they conducted that white names equal about eight years more of experience in the job field. Um, So they concluded that not only does that make it hard for people of color to find employment, or black people, we should say, to find employment, but it also makes it hard to improve their employability Mm -hmm. over time, Mm -hmm. literally based on a name on a resume, right? So, yeah. so if you're going to talk, if we're going to talk about, and, I, and and I'm trying to like really keep this close to the question of what are the, what the structural impediments are, what are the structural mm-hmm. impediments? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the answer for me is certainly segregation in terms of building up wealth through property, but then you have the double whammy of if you don't have that wealth, but, right? That getting employed, and you can argue, like you know, if you're Bill Gates or um, What's his name? Uh, at uh, Steve Jobs, you have a spark of genius, which w- allows you to sort of circumvent these typical uh, uh, ladders to to mm-hmm. um, to economic um, um, success. Fine, yeah, you can be. You know, if you happen to be that genius, you 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 leap over that um, mm-hmm. that particular quagmire. But if you're not like me. Like, you guys, like, you have to have jobs at some point. And literally, if you have someone looking at your resume or CV, and they say, oh, Lakeisha Johnson, mm -mm, mm mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Right. Right? That's a a structural impediment. I do want
2: to say this very briefly, Travis, and that is, there is a film called Searching for Shaniqua that I saw, like, in 2015 at the Harlem International Film Festival. Mm -hmm. And so it's... That quagmire that you're speaking of, Seth, is so riddled with with people who believe, not just whites, but other blacks who believe that Lakeisha's and Shaniqua's and these people shouldn't have the same, you know, their actions speak of, you know, they just push them away. There was a woman in the film mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. was an HR... Um, Executive, not executive, HR manager. Mm-hmm. And she did exactly what you said. She would take a resume, look mm-hmm. at it, mm-hmm. put it in one pile. <laughs> mm-hmm. And although she didn't, although the time of her talking head, her appearance in the film, she wasn't doing that anymore. I'm surprised that she even got on camera to say that she did it. Mm-hmm. This is a black woman.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: So the social yes. inequities <laughs> are riddled with intra-racial, um, you know, we believe that these people over here should have opportunities that
0: these people shouldn't so i think i think clearly uh black families should just start naming their sons gray is probably, that's probably <laughs> uh, what should, uh,
1: so I mean, oh, so we burn
0: the whole thing down. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, uh, More to the point. <laughs> okay. So, but if you burn the, I mean, to, to if you burn the whole thing down, what do you think people are going to rebuild in its place? I mean, you've met people, right? No, 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 but, 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 oh, I, you want but to we can go. so I mean, it, it, I do feel, I mean, I think you fingered something important and I think that is a mm-hmm. potent, uh, um, obstacle. And mm-hmm. it's a kind of politics of language, right? I mean, sort of uh, around around what types of names and what types of monikers
1: mm-hmm, um,
0: mm-hmm. are acceptable to 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 find your way into the elite. And so someone, you know, like you know, Howard Johnson that mm-hmm. also ha- you know happens to be. Mm-hmm. African American and went to Harvard has probably satisfied the necessary politics of language to 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 get a seat at the table. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Shaniqua or fill in whatever other stereotypical uh, African American name you want uh, is going to have isn't going to get that seat. Isn't even going to is their resume is going to end up in in the no pile just mm-hmm. uh, you know out uh, off immediately. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh yeah now here's my question so mm-hmm. do you think that this the youngest generation that is coming up people in their 20s sort of the you know the millennials or whatever they're calling the next uh, round of millennials, People Mm -hmm. that are, you know, uh, working in Silicon Valley, people that are working for tech, they're importing labor from other countries for, you know, some negative, and there's certainly consequences to that. Mm -hmm. Do you think that those same biases will register for them, or might they be slightly attenuated? I think it depends on whether or not they feel
2: those biases help or hurt them, meaning that depending Mm -hmm. on where they want to live, who they want to value them um, their moral center, all of these things. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if things change because we get new generations of people. In, certain, in some cases, yes, but I think that there's always that push and pull against the idea that there's not enough and you need to take care of yourself as opposed to mm-hmm. having a, a, a strong and mm-hmm. um, rich dedication to service in the community. Mm-hmm. So kinda, mm-hmm. I think it kind of depends, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, every, every successive generation, or is it the word successive I don't know. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. every works. generation that's coming behind me, it's um, I I'm both encouraged and kind of saddened because they they're going to be dealing with things that we didn't deal with. Mm. Economically, politically, but then some things are going to be a straight line through. So the the articles that Tra- um, that Seth sent us about these inequities are really depressing. They're mm. very very depressing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think I like to believe. I think social inequities th- they dovetails with the they do- they they contain the economics in a way, and these are really uneasy relationships um because just because we're, we're raged outraged by blackface in 2019 doesn't mean um it doesn't mean clean water and flint do you mm. know and i know and i know these are these kinds of things no, no, but no, no. I think, I see, I, but there's I see a through point. line for me a, yeah, yeah. so that's the problem i have with the idea of progress you know mm. it's still very a loose term for me and a term that i'm really trying to think through and educate myself on Mm. from the past, but also forecasting and saying what I'd love to see. But here's what the evidence seems to be pointing to Mm. based on um, our interest, you know, demonstrably.
1: That's that's great. That's just, uh, that's really profound. Because what you made me think of was that we might, so this is the gross analogy that's coming to my mind, is we might think of progress as we're building a dam. Okay, so it's essentially a a wall That will keep the water back And what Mm. you're talking, what you've essentially said to me Is that we are happy Imagining that we've Built this dam But there are like 10 leaks in it But for the most part We're keeping most of the water back Right? But there's still 10 leaks in it And just because we plug one Tomorrow Doesn't mean that there's going to be clean water in Flint By the end of the year, right? Like that's that, and that's and I, and I think that's really problematic because we tend to think of progress as just progress. It's like this one sort of gestalt kind of um, oh, yeah. step forward for humankind and it and 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 you're right in in pointing out it is not it's always a push and pull, and so I think symbolism means a
2: lot to people, but but boots on the ground work is is you know. I'm not doing it. Someone else can take care of the homeless. Someone Mm -hmm. else can take care of water and Flint. Someone else Mm -hmm. can do this. And people may not say that, but their actions say another
0: thing. Uh, I, I, uh, one thing to close with is, uh, just an anecdote and I've meant to go and check it because the source that I read, it was just a straight ahead news source, but apparently Nantucket has one of the dirtiest uh, water tables in the country because of pollution. And the Kennedys have talked about not being able to serve uh, water from their tap. So dirty water is not just a Flint, Michigan problem. Now I want to say I, I'm, Take that as an anecdote. That is, I want to <laughs> I <was> check like, <laughs> and I want to confirm that that's true, because it's one of those like okay. maybe just so stories. Like right. it's a little too i like ideal. Yeah. Like, do they yeah. really yeah. are really the Kennedys not being able yeah. to? Talk? I'm right. I'm gonna I want to look it up. Mm-hmm. But but I you did should. read that recently, we also so. Did. <laughs> yeah.
1: So okay, um, so for next time where do we? Yeah yeah yeah. Uh,
0: so Stephen, please yeah.
2: Oh no, I don't have anything. I was just writing something down that you guys said.
0: Seth, do you you know uh, which direction we want to take white supremacy uh, next week?
1: Well, uh, I think we ought to talk about um, um, the fear. I thought Because we talk about the fear of um, black folks who have means falling off. And I think that the fear is exacerbated when you are black. And I want to talk about what other fears um, exist for uh, for black folks. Because I think that's one of the ways in which white supremacy works. And that it makes me afraid of um whatever driving while black renting while black you know what i'm saying like there's a way in which you if we're going to talk about structural impediments we have to talk about ideological ones too all
0: right okay that sounds Mm. good all right so fear white supremacy um all right my friends i will uh i'll speak to you next week okay take care guys take care care. bye-bye bye